0: Uh, I want to thank, uh, you guys. I, we took last week off, and I took last week off, and I really appreciate the, the patience, uh, and I appreciate you coming back after we took a week off, because it wasn't like we were trying to run everybody off or anything. Uh, thank you guys that are, that are part of Tuesday night. Uh, I took one of those off as well. What I did after, because of the nature of the timing of our services on Christmas, uh, and taking that Friday off, I I, I kind of set a ten day period aside where I minimized. I didn't totally stop. We still did ascensions and had one Tuesday study and that and on. But uh, I I minimized my schedule so I could just concentrate on asking the Lord about some stuff, about stuff for Joyland, stuff for me, stuff for twenty uh, twenty one. And I don't know if you guys have ever done that, but that comes with expectation. You know, when you set some tide at a time like that, you I, I, I fully expected the Lord. I mean, we dialogue every day. Um, and about three or four days into it, I, I i thought I got something that proved to be a piece of what was more to come. Uh, I didn't know that at the time. I thought maybe it was the, the direction that I had set aside the time to seek and all that. Uh, it was good. I loved it. And uh, I'm not prepared to talk about that particular thing tonight because there's something that that points to and is a part of that's more fundamental that I am going to talk about tonight. But uh, anyway, so it's a sincere thanks for having patience with me. And I will leave you to evaluate the value of the time, but um, I am I'm stunned and excited about what that 10 days produced in my heart and in my anticipation of, of what's coming and what's here, actually, because there really isn't anything we need to be all that we can be that we don't already have. Because the heart of the Father has been the same since the beginning, and the work of Jesus has been completed, uh, for quite a long time, and now we're the ones working out our salvation in fear and trembling. We're the ones applying what God wants. And that doesn't mean that there's not things to learn, it doesn't mean there's nothing. But I am here to tell you that you are better equipped, you are better equipped to manifest fully who God has destined you to be and who God has destined us to be as a part of our church. I'm in the same boat. It's a stunning thing. It's a stunning thing. And I'm going to talk about it tonight. I um, I can't think of the last time I felt like I had um, such clear direction about where to focus. As I moved into a new year, and I'm not like a, a super, um, New Year's resolution kind of person, but I always kind of look, you know, Lord, what are you doing? What are you doing? And and it's the, this shift that we're making into 2021, or that we have made, because today's the day. Um, it, it does. Feel, it's hard for it not to feel different. Last year was so strange, and there were so many things thrown at us that that made it difficult. But there's no way that I want this year defined just as a counterpoint to what went goofy last year. This year has to have life of its own. It's got to have its own meat and its own potatoes and its own, I don't eat potatoes anymore, its own meat and its own potatoes if you eat potatoes. Uh, And and it does have, it does have, not just because of where it is on the calendar, not because of where it is coming up on the Jewish calendar in eight or nine months. It's, it's It's because it's a part of the ages that the Father made through the Son. That are rolling our way, full of redemption, full of the purposes of Jesus, and so it's it's an amazing thing. So I want to talk to you tonight about something that's going to be the theme in my life, message, studies, prayers, conversations, and everything else uh, for a while. And 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 I don't want to I don't want to go. I'm calling it Jesus necessary but neglected call. Okay. Necessary, but neglected call. It could be called other things. It would probably be better. One life-changing obedience to embrace as we engage 2021. Now that sounds like it's just a message about, oh, it's uh, New Year, so I'm preaching about New Year. But the question is, is there really one life-changing thing? Is that, is that a legitimate statement to make in any way, shape, or form? Or is that just some kind of public speaking hype? <laughs> And I'm here to tell you, I believe there is one thing that is so central to understanding, and I believe that we don't understand it very well in our culture. And I don't say that as a judgment on anybody here, because I know you guys, and I know you love the Lord, and all that kind of stuff, and so do I. I say it because we're a victim of our culture. We're a victim of the church culture, and we're a victim of the body of teaching that emphasizes certain things and doesn't emphasize other things. And this is one of those things that Jesus emphasized quite dramatically that the scripture, the basic revelation of the logos emphasizes dramatically, but I've never heard it emphasized and I've rarely emphasized it in my own life. I've heard myself preach about it more than I've ever heard anybody else preach about it and teach about it, but uh, that would make sense because I hear every sermon I give and I only hear <laughs> odds and ends from other people, but they're really, it's it's an emphasis thing, okay? so. If you'll just hang with me, we're going to look at a a few scriptures. Tonight has the potential to be very brief because I really am am trying to focus on one point and not distract us until we can get this point down. I'm not going to get in the weeds tonight on the Greek. That's coming up later as we move forward. But I want you guys to understand and hear this one point and walk away turning it over in your heart if you can Can there be truly one thing worthy of our focus? Now, I could have put in 2021 on there and taken some of the gravitas away from this. But I don't want to do that. I want the question to stand. Can there truly be one thing worthy of our focus? And I would propose to you that the answer can legitimately be yes without doing harm to a hundred thousand other amazing beautiful things. And that's what we're going to try to look at tonight. So, first chapter of John, this is in the prologue down starting in verse 10, and this is David Bentley Hart's translation. Let me read it to you. He was in the cosmos, and you know David Bentley Hart translates cosmos in Greek, to cosmos he doesn't make it world and all that kind of stuff so that's why i like this translation i just like it anyway cuz he's kind of he's kind of abrupt and it reads abruptly i love it he was in the cosmos and through him obviously he's talking about the logos he's talking about jesus right he was in the cosmos and through him the cosmos came to be and the cosmos did not recognize him he came to those things that were his own now, I love that translation because remember when we looked in John 14 and, and uh, 13 and 14, we came to understand that the cosmos was more inclusive than just the culture of the world, that it included everything pretty much. Uh, and, and so he came to those things, people, plants, planets, all this kind of stuff, earth especially. He came to those things which were his own, and they who were his own did not accept him. But as many as did accept him, to them he gave a gift. He gave the power to become God's children. To those having faith in his name, those born not from blood, nor from a man's desire, but from God. I highlighted a couple things on this passage I want you to see. You know where we're at in the Gospel of John, right? First chapter, down about 10, 12 verses there. We're talking about the incarnation of the Logos, the word of the Father. We're talking about Jesus coming. We're talking about uh, what's celebrating Christmas, what's properly celebrated in Feast of Tabernacles, I think probably. or uh, Anyway, whatever. I, I, we're going to get that straightened out eventually. But the point is, celebrate it. Not that happens in January. Celebrate his incarnation this month too. And next month and beyond that. Because he came into this cosmos that he created. It's a big deal. But look at what it says. As many as did accept him, because nobody accepted him. But as many as did, nobody recognized him. But when people do recognize him and they say yes, he gives them the power to do something. Literally, he gives us the power to become something. Children of God. There are concepts in this that you would think would be included that aren't there. Like the forgiveness of sins. Like the ability to repent. I'm not saying those things are not important, and I'm not saying they're not a part of this gift. What I'm saying, though, is that the focus of this is wrapped around this one extraordinary gift, and that is the power to become God's children. To those having faith in His name, to those... And then look at this phrase, born not from blood nor from a man's desire, but from God. Now, I could read that in the New American Standard, and it would be the way I read it and thought about it for most of my life. Uh, I think I'll do that, as a matter of fact. Plus, let me use my cool glasses. I didn't mark it because I wasn't going to use this Bible. But just so it sounds a little bit more familiar than David Bentley Hart's translation... But as many as receive him, to them he gave the right to become children of God, even to those who believe in his name, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. Now, let me explain why I like this translation a little bit better than the New American Standard one. The choice of the word right is it leaves the door open in my thinking and in most people's thinking that, like, if I give Ronnie the right to come over to my house, or if I give Ronnie the right to borrow my car, let's say, that really has no impact on Ronnie until he tries to borrow my car. But if I give him the power to do something, you have that power sitting there latently, not just to be exercised as an option someday if you choose to. But you actually have it. It's it's yours. And it's a subtle sort of distinction in the idea of exousia. But I love what it says here, because here's a commodity, the power to become God's children, and Jesus gives it to those who accept it, who receive it. To those having faith in his name, those born not from blood, not from a man's desire or the will of man, but from God. But from or of God. All right. This is one of the places, and another one comes up in the next scripture we're going to look at, where John uh, talked about, uh, wrote about Jesus speaking to Nicodemus, where the phrase "born again" comes from, or "born from above," or "born of God," and. One of the, uh, the, the, the distinctions I want to make is that if we rightly understand this, we will not be tempted to think that the centerpiece, the big deal of Christianity, the big deal of evangelism, the big deal of uh, our witness is to get somebody to say the sinner's prayer. But that is a version of the gospel that permeates our culture and there've been a lot of people who the lord has responded to that prayer i mean and and, and I, I know beef about that there's a lot of people who have in that in that moment they have accepted him they have extended their heart they have received him they have put faith in his name and, and he responded but the expectation of what that produces misses this, I find in almost everybody. Because mostly people will then associate that prayer with forgiveness, uh, receiving forgiveness, which they do get, in fact. Most of them will associate the, that moment of that prayer with something in the neighborhood of repentance or in uh, some kind of atoning application or mostly going to heaven, skipping hell. Now, yeah, I'm all for those things. I want to go to heaven. I don't want to deal with any more of hell than I have to. But, I don't know, I I can't name very many conversations I've had with people about accepting Jesus, where the centerpiece of that thought and that concept was, oh my goodness. I have been given the power to become God's child. I just don't know. I've not had that conversation with lots and lots of people. I've had it more lately with people I've been talking to. But, and there's evidence abounding in the church culture that that is a missing part of what is plainly stated here. Because there's, you go down a Christian bookstore, there's all kinds of stuff about sonship. There's all kinds of stuff about how to overcome having a bad father. Or how to, you know, overcome a bad home life or something like that. I love Dan Moeller. Dan's coming in a few months too. it be fun. He's gonna be here in February, uh, one night, I think, up at The Rock. And I'll keep you guys posted when that is. And then he's gonna be here in May. So I'm super excited about it. But, um uh, Dan's dad was, uh, was an alcoholic. And I I love it that Dan says, what does that have to do with my father? He says, my dad was just a guy broken like the rest of us. What does that have to do with what I know from my heavenly father? He was a perfect man, And it's because Dan got a hold of this, that he's a child of God. We sang that in worship. And I want you to make this declaration more than just when we sing that song occasionally. But you are what he has made you to be. You are what he has given you the power to be. He has given us. This is what happened when Jesus came. He gave us the power to be a child of God. Born not from blood, so it doesn't draw on our own lineage. It doesn't draw on our own uh, tribe per, per se or our own family line. It, it isn't from the desire that happened after the honeymoon or in the backseat of the car <laughs> or wherever that desire manifests. It is of God. You are not born again because somebody witnessed to you and you agreed. You were not born again because somebody led you in a sinner's prayer. You were born again because God willed it and sent His Son to be the vehicle for the release of that gift in His name. Okay? Now, you could say, well, I don't know, Larry, there's a lot of stuff out there. Here's Jesus being accosted by... A man named Nicodemus. So let's just read real quick. This is in chapter 3. Now there was a man, one of the Pharisees, whose name was Nicodemus, a ruler of the Judeans. This was a significant man in that culture and in the church. This was a significant man. He was a ruler of the Judeans. Jesus received this guy knowing who he was. And I want you to think about, was Jesus being trivial or was he taking this man seriously? Did he love him? Did he did he love the fact that Nicodemus was coming to him, even though he came in the night? Or was he offended by that and going to blow him off? And if you have those, you know, I mean, there's no way Jesus thinks that way. <laughs> there's no way Jesus thinks that way. So, uh, if you have not seen The Chosen, there are a couple of scenes in there that are indispensable to have in your life. One of them one of them is him and, and Mary and uh, the Shabbat that she's leading when Jesus is sitting at the other end of the table. It's just outrageous and crazy. The other is Jesus and Nicodemus up on the roof when he came to him at night. Please watch it. If that's all you do is just thumb through until you see Nicodemus and Jesus... This man came to him at night and said to him, Rabbi, we know that you have come as a teacher from God, for no one can produce these signs you perform unless God is with him. Now that really wasn't a question, but Jesus' response is interesting. In reply, Jesus said to him, Amen. Amen. Yes, yes, truly, truly. I tell you, unless someone is born from above, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Speaking to this man, this ruler of the Judeans, who proved he had the character to pursue, he proved in spite of his exalted position in, uh, in the temple and in the, in the, in the structure of the, the community there, He came to Jesus with respect and with honor. And Jesus didn't say boo, or thank you, or oh wow, or anything along these lines. What he said was, Amen, amen, I tell you, unless someone is born from above, he cannot see the kingdom of the heavens. How important is that declaration? It's very important. Uh, a good friend of mine is doing a theological roundtable coming up in a, next week, actually, Harold Eberly, And um, one of the hallmarks of Harold's ministry, if you've known him for a while, is that he, like, he spends his whole life, actually, in, in a lot of ways, trying to get the church to go from a salvation-based gospel to a kingdom-based gospel. Because a salvation-based gospel has co-opted the concept of born again to just getting the straightened out, forgiven, and the ticket to heaven. But there's so much more than just going to heaven. There's getting heaven released in us. There's, there's, there's becoming a child of God. That's kingdom stuff. That's where we, that's where we live. That's where we go. So... One of the problems in the church today, and this is what I'm so incredibly grateful that the Lord has shown me that we can have a voice too. I can, you can, Joanne can, is that one of the reasons that the kingdom is such a vague, distant, unreal concept is because we've co-opted the being born of God into a transaction to get forgiven and go to heaven. Instead of being born from God so that we can rise from that birth and we can realize that God, Almighty God, Jehovah, Yahweh, the Ancient of Days, the creator and sustainer of all that is, He is our Father. And I am here to tell you that there is no point of identity that exists, period, that is more fundamental and more significant than that God Almighty the Ancient of Days, the Creator and Sustainer of all, and all the myriad of names, He is your Father. That realization is what we miss when we co-op and minimize the concept of being born of God into a transaction that Jesus laid the groundwork for. God bless everything that happened that way, but where he laid a transaction for us to overcome some problem that had uh, put us on God's bad side. Even the concept of being lured into thinking that we're on God's bad side or that we could be on God's bad side is in direct opposition to what Jesus' coming reveals. And it's not hard to get out of Scripture. Paul says, while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. He wasn't waiting for us to be born again. He was borning us again by the sending of His Son. In a minute, I'm going to read some a little thing that that, uh, went back and forth between me and the Lord. And it was, I mean, the first moment that God could set up things to send he set him up and he sent. And he did so to reveal his heart toward us before we ever knew it or responded. He was our father and he was acting like a father from the beginning while we were acting like we lived in some sort of independence, some sort of unique separated state. The blindness that we have to this truth and the blindness that we have to the kingdom is because, it's because we don't recognize and we don't lean into this birth from above. We don't honor and recognize our heritage. And I, I, even as I say that, I know that can turn it into something that sounds like a work. We don't allow ourselves the glory and the life of recognizing the God of this universe is my Father. I'm His child. Do you see what I'm saying? this declaration, the receiving of this, the receiving of Jesus. Who is Jesus? Somebody shout it out. The Son of God. Every... yeah, He's God too. But He is the Son. Every interaction that we are admonished to have in Scripture, whether it's how we give, how we serve, what we preach, how we worship, how we pray, Feast we keep, work we do, witnesses we share. Do you understand? Every single thing exists within the umbrella of, within the context, the specific context of the fact that you are His child. There is nothing you're called to do that's independent of that. There is no worship you can offer that is outside the parameters the specifics of being God's child. And it has been an incredible, an incredible strategic deception or something that has helped us for much of our lives, and I am guilty of it, invent worship or service or discipleship that is somehow... Indifferent to or outside the context of that one primary identity. God of this universe is your father and you're his child. I remember, uh, I remember some of you were, were on there when we were first teaching this a few years. I was first teaching a few years ago and I was going through scriptures talking about when did God become our father? And the case that I was seeing in scripture and I was beginning to build and I know it caused some issues with some of us was, well, uh, we're, you know, he created us, so he's our creator, but he didn't become our father until we uh, came in to be a son. And you could go back to the prologue that I just quoted and said, you know, well, when you accept him, that's when he gives us... Okay, granted, granted, I understand that it's a, it's a, a complicated topic a little bit. But from his side, which is what we need to start looking from, I may not have recognized my, my childhood. I may not have recognized it. I mean it's obvious because if, if this doesn't happen, I can't even see the kingdom. In just a second, I'll, in fact, I'll go there right now because I don't want to get stuck. Nicodemus says, Well, how can a man be born when he's old? Jesus replied, Amen, amen. I tell you, unless a man's born of water and the spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom. Not only can you not see it, you can't enter it. And he says, Don't be amazed, because I have told you it is necessary. To be born from above. Necessary. I just want to encourage you. God is your father. God is your neighbor's father. God is your sister and your brother and your cousin and your uncle and your aunt's father. God is your congresswoman or your congressman's father. He's your president's father and your president-elect's father if the two end up being different. God is the father by whom every family, Paul says in Ephesians, on earth derives its name. And we're going to spend all the time we need this year to make sure that we are all sold on that because I want us to lean into the life that our Father gives us. That's why, Alan, it's correct for you to say, I'll spend my life going back and forth between Papa's lap and Papa's shoulders. Because in one, I'm going to feel safe and in the other, I'm going to get to look around like he looks around. There's another scripture that we're going to go through. But this is, it is the central relationship, the central fundamental relationship. Before you could ever be called a Christian, you are properly called a child of the Father. He took care of that in Jesus. Not just as an option, but as an expression of how He sees people. How He longs to be that Father there's a couple things that we could do uh, to look at quick examples. When the disciples first asked Jesus, teach us how to pray, he could have said anything he wanted. What he said was, our father. Our father. You know that it was a scandalous thing that he was teaching, which is probably why Nicodemus came to him and, and, and this was the topic.
1: Since you said we'll be discussing this for a while... These will just be points to ponder. Okay. Um, but if we back up in the slides to the very first one, where it was part of the prologue,
0: uh-huh.
1: if you wouldn't mind doing that, oh,
0: sure.
1: there was uh, something that's a little confusing. You know, the idea that it clearly says in the Bible is not clear yeah. to me. Go ahead. Um, it's basically saying that we he came to us, but we didn't accept him. He, I'm one of his own. Mm-hmm and they who were his own did not accept him. Mm-hmm. Then it flips and says, but as many that did accept him. Mm-hmm. So right there, there's a little bit of a, what the heck does that mean? Okay. Um, what I'm trying to do, I've shifted, as you know, but mm-hmm. for others that, that don't know me, I've shifted from this idea that there's in and out, and then those that have said a certain prayer are in, and those that haven't are out. Mm-hmm. I believe everybody's in. Um, and I think you've done a masterful job of helping us understand that. But I don't get it from here yet. Um, and so it appears that it says, but as many as that did accept him, and accepting him seems like it's something we do. Okay. And that's a little confusing. To them he gave the power to become God's children. I am currently under the impression that we all have the power to become God's children.
0: Period. Well, here's what I would, uh, here's what I would suggest that you kind of hold the thought as we move forward to develop it. That, so first of all, one thing I want you guys to keep in mind is it's okay to set your heart to believe what the scripture says, even if you have a question about something else it says, or it doesn't seem like it reconciles. That's another one of the disastrous obligations we have put upon ourselves, which is to make everything make sense simultaneously. So reduce it to its simplest form. He came to those things which were his own and they who were his own did not accept him. That doesn't say anything about him coming or the father sending him. It says only about those he sent to. So let's just let it be that there a bunch of those that are his own, and those things could also be the cosmos. I mean, for instance, one place we're going to go in a couple weeks is to Romans chapter 8. Romans chapter 8 says that creation is frustrated because God, it seems, frustrated it so that it would wait until the glory of the children of God is revealed. I don't fully understand that, When we get to it, hopefully I'll understand a little bit more. We'll talk about it. But the point is, uh, the power to become the children of God was something that God gave in Christ. And it does appear that until a person accepts that, their ability to engage in it, their ability to benefit from it, their ability to do that is hindered. Now, it, what I don't want you to do, and I, I think you won't do it, because we've talked a lot about it, don't equate that, the power to become God's children, or this idea of born, uh, of God, don't equate that with being saved or not saved. That's not the point of it. There's a, there's a, there's I, a... I
1: don't, but there is, um, common understanding that... That's, that's what, what it, it is. is. Right. And I'm gonna yes. do
0: my dead-level best to dissuade people from that common understanding because I don't believe it's true. What that is, is assuming that everything that we see from our perspective is the way it is. But the scripture is full of revelation that God sees things the way they are and that we rarely do without help. So
1: So there's still a, a little struggle and between where it says, where it says the struggle that's still here is that it says that we did not accept him but to but as many who as did accept him that right there i don't get how that
0: works just plug it into time
1: yeah no i'm okay with it right, for event- instance
0: take the take the i would
1: add the word eventually so god could you edit this and say
0: <laughs> no ed- we can't yeah, okay. we just have to work it out uh, just plug the rich young ruler in your mind because it won't fully answer the question but it'll give you a way to think about it uh-huh. the rich young ruler comes and says lord what do we have to do to get saved. Jesus said, oh, do this, do this. I've done this since my youth. He was sincere. Jesus didn't say so. As a matter of fact, Jesus loved him. But he walked away when the issue came up about his possessions. Give yourself permission to believe that after Jesus died and rose again in the same town, that this rich young guy rethought his position. Mm-hmm. He came unto his own. His own didn't accept him, but as many as did. That guy played both those parts, I think. Okay. So time's an Time is a important. factor. Not a factor on God. Because God didn't need time to be our Father. He didn't need time to give us. He didn't need time to will our birth. I wish he threw in a,
1: a time word in the middle of that. It would have been handy. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but if you switch to the next, the next slide, there's one other point that I have a question. Cannot see the kingdom of God. Yes. I think it'd be valid to study what does see mean? What is the word see? He cannot see. Is that experience it? Is it know it well? Is it imagine it? What is see? It's not probably just visual. I'm sure it is visual. You are sure. Well, I'm pretty sure it's not.
0: (laughs) So you're sure it doesn't have anything to do with visual? No, I didn't say that. It has. To it can do be with imagining seeing
1: and seeing could be an imagining thing. In that, if you're calling that visual, no, uh, being intimately involved and understanding it like a gnoseco kind of thing. Um, when I tried to look it up, I failed, but I kept pushing buttons. Eventually, it got to the place of. Can you experiential see? The, can
0: you see the clicker? Uh, no, because there's something between you and it. Yeah, that keeps you from seeing it. Okay. It's, it's the lack of understanding. No, it's a book. That you're born again. <laughs> it's a book between us. It, it really is. See, in other words, the kingdom, the kingdom is not lacking any definition to be entered or to be seen or to be experienced, but we don't see it because we're not looking at it as children of God. Come on, I need you at the mic, Bev.
2: I looked that up earlier in the Strongs. To okay. see. Look upon, experience, perceive, discern, and be aware. So that's what that to see means in the Strong. Mm-hmm. Okay.
0: And so in other words, it's possible to not notice this amazing kingdom that is there.
1: Uh-huh. Perception, I think, is is something that if i am expect if i have an expectancy that something's there when it is there i can see it but if i don't have an expectancy i may see it or i may not see it and i could be looking for it trying to find it and am more apt to agree that i can see it because i have an expectancy or an expectation that it's there
0: keep in mind that jesus was was replying to something specific uh, Nicodemus had just said, Hey, I know you're, you're of God, right? I know you're of God, because nobody can do what you do without knowing this. And Jesus replied to that assertion, not a question. Truly, truly, I say to you, unless you are born again, you cannot see the kingdom. All right, an example of somebody who may have thought they could, surely did, but was when Jesus was confronted by the Pharisees and they go, you cast out demons by the prince of demons. No, they could see the kingdom of darkness, but they couldn't see the kingdom of, of heaven. So we're, we're going to dig into all this. This is not a one time deal.
1: Because with the big, the big question behind the question has to do with there seems to be areas in scripture written words that talk about being born again even though it's a small amount, it's something that's been a major focus in Christianity, at least in right. the culture I grew up in. And so to try to discern what of that matters and what of it doesn't matter, or what of the expectation of what that means right. matters and doesn't matter, Here's my is best a big advice
0: deal. as we work through that, and we've yep. talked some about this. Yep. Jesus said that unless you're born from above, you cannot see the kingdom. And, he says, it is necessary for you to be born again. Just because I spent two-thirds of my preaching career distorting the reality of what being born again was, and just because a bunch of my peers do the same thing, and just because you've heard sermon after sermon, and Bible study after Bible study, and analysis after analysis, that was wrong, and that distorted what Jesus said is necessary, doesn't change it at all. It's up to us to repent of what we thought and believe what Jesus says. And it's up to people like me now and you that we get a hint that we've been sold a bill of goods not because people were evil or mean, probably. I wasn't. I was just stupid. And I was self-centered. I was human-centered. I was looking at these levels, and I didn't... I hadn't come to the place in my life where I realized that everything I see, almost to say potentially is not even safe or fair, everything I see is different than the way the Father sees it. And the thing that's most different in most people is how the person they're looking at looks to them versus how that person looks to the Father. And more so than even that, because you only see anybody occasionally, but you see yourself all the time. And the truth of the matter is, I have logged more inaccurate assessments, more inaccurate views of who I am than any other living person on the earth. Dave and I—we'll compare notes. We may have competed. We're close enough in age that it. And you know what? I—the I, way I saw myself so many times, and still have the capacity to today—it wasn't because I was trying to to bolster myself up and look bigger than I am. That's, oh my God! If that's the only problem we had, was thinking a little more highly of ourselves, then it was true. I wouldn't be preaching this series. I wouldn't be devoting my life to this and our church to this this year. The truth of the matter is the ways that I have seen myself and that you see yourself that are distorted are ways that are not how the Father sees you as his child. And that is a practical manifestation, not a a soteriological one, that means salvation, not a theological manifestation. It's a practical manifestation. The Pharisees, when Jesus, when they came to Jesus and started accusing him of all kinds of things, and he said, look, you've never seen my father or heard his voice. Because if you did, you would have known me. You know, these are practical problems, but they aren't destiny defining issues. The father knows who we are. He knew who they were. And it gets complicated because Jesus said, you're your father the devil. <laughs> okay? It's complicated. I'm not saying it's not, but let's not, for the sake of reducing this down to some formulaic simplicity, deny that fact, which is, it's necessary for you to be born, not of the will of man, not of man's desire, of God. That's why he came. Not everybody recognizes it at any given point in time. But it is a fact. Because the way God sees things is it. All right, so I've got to wrap up. This wasn't just a priority in general to the world. That hour the disciples approached Jesus, this is Matthew 18, saying, Who then is the greater in the kingdom of heaven? And calling a child forward, he stood the child in their midst and said, Amen. Sound familiar? I tell you, unless you turn back and become his children, you most certainly may not enter the kingdom of the heavens. He therefore who will make himself small as a child, this one is the greater in the kingdom of heavens. And whoever welcomes one such child in my name welcomes me. Unless you turn back and become as a little child, unless you are converted and becomes a little child, unless you repent and become a little child. We do have to change, and it does matter. But we are changing into a reality, out of a falsehood, out of a lie. We are not independent agents sitting over here evaluating two options. And going, well, I don't know. I feel like this is true, but I hear him saying this is true. That's not the kind of option he, that's not, Jesus never says truly, truly, I say to you and then gives you a choice like that. That's not, and we're going to find it. Here's why I'm so excited about teaching about this stuff and talking about it and having Bible studies about it and praying about it and pursuing him in ascensions over it. Every single thing that the Bible teaches is the, the reality of it, the truth of it, is found in the, in the reality of this identity. The Ancient of Days, the creator of the universe, is my father and your father. There's nothing you can understand about Christianity or Judaism for that matter or scripture or anything about living in this world outside the context of that reality. And when you get that reality, you have all kinds of freedom to study, to explore, to pray, to ask all kinds of questions and do all this kind of stuff. Like uh, Richard's in Florida, and I-, I can't wait to talk to him when he gets back. But one of the things he always says is he says, when I found out that the Father loved me, just loved me, unconditionally, for no reason, nothing I'd done. He just loved me. It changed everything. He's right. That is the truth. But... It is a subset of a slightly larger truth, which is that why would a good father not love his child? He wouldn't be a good father otherwise. He defines good fatherness. And good fatherness is that fathers love their children, but they also provide for their children. They also leave room for their children to grow and be independent. They... they, they thrive on the dependence, but they visualize us growing up into the fullness and the measure of the stature of Christ. You want to study Ephesians 4 and what the purpose of preachers and teachers and prophets and all? It's because God is a good father to the people that are going to eventually stand in the fullness and measure and stature of who? His Son. We have been preordained, foreordained, to be conformed to the image of what? Who? Jesus, the word of the Father, the Son. You're a son. I'm a son. But before you're a son, you're a child. You never quit being a child just because you get old. This is the fundamental relationship as viewed by God Almighty in all of creation, that we are His children. And The acceptance of that, like, Ronnie, what you're talking about, because it sounds like this acceptance is a deal, and we're just inundated with that acceptance being defined as the idea of getting saved or getting born again or something like that. We're going to have to work through it. I understand the confusion, but I have it myself. But God will give us the ability to see it from His side, to see us from His side. And once we do, I know, I know, I know, it's going to change it and make it a lot simpler even though it may still be kind of hard to explain to somebody who's just still trying to make a case for being in and being out. Go ahead, Dave. And I think that in that identity, in knowing that God is our Father, and you talked about all of the things that He does, but one of the the, the principal thing that He does for me is He talks to me. Yes! I can ask Him a question. Because we're confused by what does C mean, or what does that mean, or what does that mean? Well, I can get into the Hebrew and I can get into the Greek and I can, and I used to do that, but I just found it so much easier easier to ask daddy, what does that mean? And I may not receive a definitive answer, but at least I'm at peace with the question. Yeah. I have peace even in my ignorance of that answer. I'm cool until He wants to let me know what that means. Yeah. And you know what? I understand. And I am sympathetic because I was one. I am sympathetic with Bible teachers and leaders and theologians and friends and all of us going, man, that's so relative. That's so scary. It just, are we a God to ourselves? Is every thought that runs through our head, is God talking to us? No. You're hearing that wrong. There is a defining truth in the cosmos. And it is that God made children. That is the truth that's lost. That is the truth that we have to eventually come back to settle on so that we can freely ask all the rest of the questions. And we can live with the variable possible answers. And you know what? Before your father, you can actually be wrong. And you could be wrong, you could be stupid wrong for quite a long time. And it doesn't stop him from being your father. It might stop you from hearing his wisdom. And there's so many places, once you look through this lens, you see it. The, the story of the prodigal son, the good father, the elder brother. The elder brother was stupid blind for the time he was there. And the younger brother was stupid blind thinking that life out there was better than what his father offered him. But they were both still sons. But their stupid blindness kept them from receiving love on one hand and the security that came with that love and the freedom to know who he was and how much he was loved by his father on the other. And guys, this is what's amazing. Sorry about that. This is what's amazing to me. There will hardly be a chapter in the Bible that will not come to life in the light of this revelation. I don't care whether it's parables, whether it's stories, whether it's teaching, whatever. I am super excited and I'm very grateful that the Lord said, here's something worth devoting this year to. Here's something worth devoting Joyland to, and here's something worth devoting your life and your lives to. That is the revelation that we are children of the Father. In whatever degree of unfamiliarity or knowledge that we have, this was just supposed to be an introduction. I think I'm, let me see. Yeah, how important is this one call, the call to realize, to accept what Jesus has revealed to us, to accept His name, God with us, Emmanuel, the Christ, the anointed one. Well, to go back and become like a child is why Jesus came. The confusion that has a tendency to exist through all this political stuff it is in part because we don't see the kingdom and that is because we don't understand this relationship of child uh, it's how we enter and engage the kingdom of heaven how many of you have spent time hoping against hope that the person you lay hands on will in fact be healed it's this. I have complete confidence that once we can engage it as children, and, you know, this is just an anecdotal story, but I've heard so many stories about Heidi Baker's kids over in Mozambique that run across a person who was attacked by a beast and Heidi gathers them around and their chest is open because of the attack and got maggots growing in it and the kids just go, okay, and they put their hands in there and pray and the person jumps up to life. After an hour, children do that. People who know their children, not people who wish they were children. Wishing you were a child of God just shows that you're deceived. It's how we know our Father. I didn't talk about that in any of these scriptures, but it's eternal life. This is eternal life that they would know you. Well, do you understand that you cannot know your Father? except as a child. There's no abstract position. Yes, we could talk about adoption, and that's going to be an appropriate thing to do, but there's no position from which you can say, Daddy, my Daddy, except to know you're his child. That's what we're here to know.
2: Greg? One of the most important things I've heard tonight that's just so helpful and freeing is that you're free to get it wrong. Um, that's really important to me. Uh, I was sitting at the Leo Cafe with a friend of mine. He's a Garris Bible College student. And we were going over what a relationship with God is. And, and Abby was there. And his name's Stuart. So he's Uncle Stewie. Abby calls him Uncle Stewie. And so I said, Abby, who's that, Uncle Stubie. and Stuart started smiling. I said, well, Stuart, why are you smiling? She got your name wrong. What are you smiling at? She got it wrong. And he said, well, because it's Abby. She says, because you love her. Yeah. So what if we call somebody Jesus and his name's Yeshua? What if, what if, what if, does it mean anything in heaven at all? Yeah. It doesn't, in a very good way, it doesn't mean anything to get it wrong. It's been one of the most freeing things in the world, like when you asked God one time if you had belittled him too much, and He said, "Of course you did." To me, there's so much freedom in that because now you can go out and minister, yeah. even though you're a screwed-up human being in some ways. Yeah. Uh, so yeah. it really ministers to me to hear you're free to get it wrong. Yeah. So. Well,
0: we. I mean, you know, one of the things that I like to say is that God built redemption with us in mind. If if He really made redemption based on us getting everything right, that was a very poor plan on His part, and. I bet if he built the system that way, there wouldn't be any more than 10 or 12% of the people who would actually get redeemed. Oh, that is one of the theologies we're combating out there that does not depend upon the reality of being his child. Okay, Father, I am so grateful that we can start every prayer with that. Even those prayers out of dark places where we don't know where we're at or we certainly don't feel worthy of of being named your son. We've made promises that we've screwed up on. We're blind to our identity. We've, like Vicky was talking about early in the service, we've held hopes for a while and then we've been disappointed. And we had a real honest moment and lashed out at you and then felt shame over it. We can always pray, Father because it is a reality from you. Lord, I don't know how to sort all the details out. Ronnie's questions tonight were spot on. And um, there probably are some places in the Scripture that I wish you'd thrown a couple modifiers in to clarify. But it, that's just me wishing. I believe this. I believe that as we purpose in our heart to receive the gift of the power to become your children through Jesus. Not as a transaction that somehow qualifies us above and beyond our neighbor, but one that opens our heart and our eyes and our spirit up to be able to hear your voice and to be able to be led by your spirit. Paul does say in Romans that those that are led by the spirit are children. And so, Lord, by way of tonight's introduction, by your grace, Father, we will set our our hearts and our minds and our purpose on recognizing ourselves. And I know that that's got to be good news to your ears, because we're saying, in Jesus' name, that we are going to believe what you know and have always known to be true. And so we thank you, Jesus, for being the embodiment of that truth, the courier of that truth, and the definition of that truth manifest in the appropriate time, in appropriate age. So, Lord, I thank you. I pray that you will help us as we move forward. And, Lord, we don't have to answer all of the possible questions. We can just believe what you, you say. That every family on heaven and earth derives its name from you. And that if we accept Jesus, which everybody in this room pretty much has, Then we are now recipients of and engaged in and beneficiaries of the power to become children of God, born not of our own will, not just of flesh and blood, but literally of your will, Father. And I thank you for that. In Jesus' name. Amen. Praise God. Thank you guys. Um, I'm excited. And I'm telling you, there's a lot of people in this world that name the name of Jesus, that respect the Bible, and that think the Bible's just a goofy book and don't could care less about Him, that are going to have their hearts turned and brought alive by the knowledge that they are a child of the God of the ages. Amen? It's going to be fun. God bless you guys you <sharp inhale>